0: Psalm 25 here, it says, verse 4, uh, we actually can read the whole thing. This is one of David's famous psalms. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. This is verse 1. Verse two. O my God, in you I trust. Trust, let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. David, not in a great mood yet. Uh, verse 4. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. And then John 14, verse 6. Who knows? Out of their heads. Anyone? I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what's interesting, it's quite something for him to say that I am the way. If you're like me, I want to learn the ways of God so that next time around I remember them. And there is something about learning the ways of God where we, we actually become wise in how God works with us. But we can't become too wise where he's no longer the way. I am the way and so i've i've been in this for, for more than 30 years and i would say one of the greatest vulnerabilities in in knowing the ways of god is presuming you know them because you learned them last time and so we constantly are are eating literally we eat and we look to god and he is he is the way in every area of our lives and that sounds not very encouraging but it actually is very encouraging. Because all of us are walking out a pathway and we can choose to find the way of God. We can choose his path. Let me read it again. Psalm 25 verse 4. Make me to know your way or your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. Um, I have I have a prepared message, but I'm going to deviate from it. So it's probably not going to be squeaky clean. But let me just share with you, and I actually want to talk to us as well. But um, <clears throat> one of the, the mysteries of God is just how he works with us. And I was preparing to marry Lorna. But I found my heart to be very ambivalent. And ambivalence is when you really want something... But simultaneously, you're not sure. And I was wrestling with ambivalence. And, and uh, anyone who's got any sound counseling, you know, would have not been tempted to, but would have said, you know what, Grant, you need to make a decision. You know, if they were in your community, it would have been easy to say, listen, you yeah, uh, know, I've, I've prayed about this. How is this for an interesting one? I've prayed about this, and actually this is of the Lord. So, I, I, we've prayed. Martin, and sorry, we've prayed, and we sense this is of the Lord. You need to keep your course and make a decision. It wouldn't be wrong to go that way. But the Lord knew that my ambivalence was the power of undealt the sin in my heart. And I'll give you a quick story. When I was 13... I had got to that age, if, you, if you're a, a guy, from 13, 14, you change quite a bit. And uh, I'd got to that stage in my life where I was catching my mother's hand when it would swing. Uh, she, um <laughs> and I, I had, I had uh, become defiant in many ways as a teenager. I was, I was 13. And I remember developing a real... You can say actually ambivalent towards a mom because I needed my mother, but also resented her. And I can tell you all the, the, the reasons why. Um, why? Maybe I should just, for the sake of honoring my mom, clarify some things. Uh, my mom conceived me when she was probably late 17, early 18. So she was a young girl and... Uh, a lot of her dreams got shattered because she fell pregnant. Uh, a great academic, she probably would have gone to university, which was quite rare in those days. But falling pregnant, this meant a massive change in her life. And, and I I don't want to presume this, but my guess is that it probably was the leverage that made her mom and dad get married. is was because she fell pregnant. So to really honor her, there was a lot of loss, a lot of pain. I had learned her story that her mom didn't speak to her for six months when she heard that she had fallen pregnant. So this is an 18-year-old girl. She's still finishing the trick. Uh, so, so basically, uh, I, I was birthed just after she had finished the trek. Uh, her parents didn't enjoy what happened and didn't process it well either with her. So I think in many ways, uh, that is the beginning of the story me and for her and uh, probably a lot of anger still left over and and possibly even resentment but she really made a choice to do the best she could with me she really did I want to honor her for that she's still alive and we actually got a much better relationship and a restored relationship in many ways she hasn't come to Christ uh, but all her children have and she watches us uh, so it's an interesting journey for us to walk it out of her uh, but being a great academic, she struggled with me because I was ex- uh, dyslexic. So I would read. I remember the word the was a terrible word for me to read because the the, the T used to be shaped the wrong way for me, and the H went the wrong side. It was just terrible. I couldn't remember that word uh, as a six-year-old. And, and she was a proper academic and a teaching-style mom. And I'm thankful that she labored me, but it was, like a, it was a hard relationship because I was, <laughs> I was that guy that wanted to play all the time. You know those young boys that just want to play? So I wanted to play and she wanted to teach me. And, and I was at the bottom of the school, or my class, right at the back of the class in terms of my ability. So I was quite stunted in my growth uh, through being dyslexic and also not being present in the moment uh, for many different reasons. Our relationship had a lot of strain. And by the time I was 13, I had rebelled against her and really had resentment towards her and got to the place where I said to my father, in my father's presence, I hate my mother. It was a terrible thing to do. But it was a deeply sinful response and a hardened heart response which greatly impacted my life many years after that and I didn't realize it but I actually got demonized through that uh, I think it's possible to say you hate your mother and not be demonized okay but because of the nature of what I'd done and also in the presence of my authority my father being the head of the home to say that in front of him is a very defined thing and so I think the nature of and who I was but somehow darkness entered into my life through that so here I am a preaching good guy (laughs) in my 20s and i want to marry this girl i'm finding yeah it's like i know i should get married but it's like there was this something in me wrestling and so good advice wasn't the way of god and it was actually the 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 power of sin still working in me so can i just reason with you so i can find you guys i don't think that all sin has to be dealt with this way. So when you get saved, the Bible says that you're forgiven of all your sins. And I don't think that all the sins of your past are walk, working in the present, but there are certain things that when they are impacting your obedience to Christ, they need to be dealt with. And so I always see it as, a, as, as driving a car. Most of your view as a Christian is going forward and looking to the Lord. But you have a small little rearview mirror. So when do you deal with sin that comes from the past? Only when it impacts your present obedience to God. Just to give you some theological grid. I know that I could, I could probably take the whole... I could take five Sundays to, to help us understand that. I'm really good at this. Why? Because I was so messed up I had to study it. <laughs> I had to really develop my theology of how this all works. But, but, but Jesus died for all sin. For all our sin. For all the sin done against us, and even for the sins we would one day do. Now, you can't abuse the Lord because of His forgiveness. We're not, so we, we are those that understand that we walk and we stay in Christ, and that the, the horror of sin is the horror of sin. You know, It's impossible to love God, and He died for us, and we still love sin. Now, there might be moments of that, and there might be a process where you learn to hate sin. But we, we don't, we, as Christians, we don't hate, we, do, we don't love sin. We, 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 we learn to hate <laughs> sin because blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. So the Spirit of the Lord, knowing what's going down, starts to prod my heart. Now, if I wasn't looking to stay in His way, if I wasn't looking to follow the Spirit, I might have found, and I almost did actually, I almost found reason to say no to this process. It's funny, you know, when, when uh, it's interesting, can I, can I work with you a little bit more here? Yeah? Often when something is painful, or we get confused, or it means that we're actually going to face ourselves, we will look for reasons not to follow Christ. So let pain surface, let confusion surface, begin to knock us around, and we'll even abort the very thing God wants to do in our lives. I was on the verge of saying no to God. And this doesn't feel right. I'm, feeling, I'm not feeling peace. <laughs> and it's amazing how we actually have to be educated into the ways of God to follow God. So what is happening was, as, as I, was, and I was really wanting to follow the Lord in this, and I, and I had the sense I need to go through with this, But the closer I got to Lorna, the more I was unsettled. Isn't that strange, huh? And I could begin to feel this doesn't feel good. So I can just say something to you that often, following the ways of God doesn't mean that it's going to be pain-free. And some of us will resist following Christ because it involves the pain of our hearts being exposed. Or we become confused. Or we go, ambivalence doesn't come from God. This can't be the Lord. I wonder as as shepherds, how many of us would have led me through that process well. I would have been vulnerable to go, Dylan, seriously, I would have been vulnerable to go, uh, Grant, I've heard the Lord. you meant to marry her. Just pull yourself together. I would have, have been vulnerable for that. I wouldn't have inquired of the Lord what's happening here. So, just to give it more scriptural groundings, and, and, and you can open up in Romans if you're one of those guys who likes to see the scripture seriously. But because of time, I don't want to preach. because out of time to help you understand how sin works. Uh, Romans says that, this is in Romans 1. You can open up a book of Romans. Open it up. It says that that um, <clears throat> that sin will actually cause our minds to be deprived. Depraved, that's the word it uses. Um, and sin is deceptive. Actually, you know, I'm not going to teach it like verse by verse, so you can, you can let me let me just uh, take it off there. My, uh, remember when Jesus said this? Uh, I'm just trying to explain to you how it worked with my relationship with my mom. Jesus said... Uh, when he was trying to explain to us how deceptive sin is, he said that, uh, why do you not to take out the, the log in your brother's eye? First, first deal with what's in your eye. Uh, what he was saying is, is that when it comes to someone who's hurt us, when it comes to someone who's hurt us, often it looks like what they've done is much bigger than what we've done. So sin has got this funny curve to it. And to be honest with you, me growing up, all I could think of, man, this deal wasn't a good deal. And my mom really treated me badly. And in some ways, my, my perspective towards her felt justified. Sin does that. It's got a deceptive nature about it. It's got a, a way of, uh, of blinding us. Uh, I've really had to learn that. So in marriage, for instance how we view what's going on in the marriage. Uh, Do you know that your partner's sin always looks bigger than your sin? Are you aware of that? (laughs) Seriously? Always? Okay? Because sin has got that deceptive nature. And especially if you've been hurt. Same in the church. You find that if you've been hurt by leaders in the church, uh, what they have done seems like this. Your response to it seems like this. It's just the nature of sin. So sin has got that deceptive power and it changes your mind. Roman says that your mind is transformed. Actually, Ephesians says that. that, that uh, it speaks about the sons of disobedience. It's almost like, it's like the spirit of the age forms the minds of, of the sons of disobedience. So it means that those who aren't in Christ are actually being fathered By the spirit of the age. It's transformational. Sin has got the power to change us. And so this sin in me. Undealt with. If I would taken the other way. I wouldn't be here today. That's how powerful it was. And there was a wrestle for my life. In that moment. Of are we going to follow the ways of God. And actually it wasn't. I wasn't strong enough as a good person to navigate that. I don't think that, it's a terrible confession, but I don't think that I would have in my own goodness would have got married. I would have had affairs. It's terrible to say that. I don't know if I, because of the working out of sin, or if I did, if I did get married without dealing with the sin, my partner would have had the wrath of that, undealt with sin, and I'm not sure how it would have worked out in other ways. Just quickly, so I, I know I'm jumping a bit, but I'm going to get back to the, the theme. You know, if you've been hurt, or if sin is working in you, you're also projected onto other people. So the undealt with issues with my mom, and we say issues because we understand what that means, but the Bible calls it sin, would have actually projected onto Lorna. Uh, and it's amazing how you'll find that if you've had a difficult relationship with your father, it'll be easy for that undelivered sin to be projected onto your husband or leaders. And it's amazing how sin is a life of its own. And so that's why we, we understand the ways of God, that He is our way. And the way of the forgiveness of sins is crucial when it comes to change. So let's go back. So now I'm... Going back to uh, um, the story, you know, what would we do? Would we? Would we? How would we walk that thing through? And uh, I just want to encourage us, those for your own lives, but also for our shepherds among us, is is uh, can we find the ways of God for people's lives? Can we? Can we inquire of the Spirit? Can we can we uh be those that actually point to His way? I'll give you another example of what we do in the church, which can be work against the Spirit and not help people grow in Christ. Now I could lose you on this, so I'm gonna try and do it carefully. But Spurgeon said this. Spurgeon said it's impossible to save a man who's drowning until he's come to the end of his strength. So if anyone's been in life saving, you you sort of know what I mean. Uh, If you try and save someone who's drowning and they haven't come to the end of the strength, what will they do when you get to them? They'll pull you down. So especially if they're desperate. And so what they would do in the old days, so uh, the sailors of the, of, of the days of old, is when someone fell over, overboard, they would, and they had to swim to them, they would often have to wait for that person to come to the end of their strength before they try to help them. It's interesting because salvation works the same way. Salvation, God, God cannot save you until you know that you need to be saved. And he even makes it, he says only the wicked, if you look at Romans, only the wicked can be saved. Only the sinner can be saved. Not the good person. Do you know that a good person cannot be saved? Jesus didn't die for the good. It's a terrible thing, eh? Especially someone who wants to be good. Even their goodness would need to be laid down in the light of salvation. So God doesn't despise someone who's trying to be good. He doesn't despise that. But in the light of salvation, no goodness of man qualifies anyone to be saved. They took blood. That's what I mean. So, So as we're in the church, what happens is people need help. The untrained will try and help someone who's still splashing and still with lots of strength. So let's say, now I'm the guy that's now, I'm coming to Martin, and I'm full of ambivalence, all right? And I'm full of uh, uh, my own strength still, and I'm trying to work out this thing. And I'm, I'm, and 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 I, even my tone of voice, like Martin, I, I need to, f- like, like you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really wrestling. And and can, like, what do you think? And Martin, untrained, would try and help me too much. So in the church, can we work with the Spirit of God? And so. I don't think it would be this, because the Bible says we need to love each other even to the point of laying down our lives for each other. But sometimes that means just being with someone and recognizing they're going on a journey and we can't die for them. Only they can come to that place where they, in the Spirit, go, God, show me your way. And the Spirit says, when you were 13, you've sinned against your mother. And that sin is now still working in your heart. I want you to bring it to the light. And so there's something about learning the ways of God that is so crucial for us. Uh, and loving the church rightly. Mornay van der Walt once said to me, this van der Walt, who's gone to Mossel Bay, said to me that he sees the church as this, as this great ark that holds people and not everyone is actually following the Lord but at least they're in a place where when their hearts engage they can they can connect and I think there's a great safety in being in the church but you can be carried along by the life of everyone and not actually eat of the Lord himself and not know his ways yourself. It's possible. And even if, especially if you're a good person. So you're someone who can hold the job down well. You're able to, you know, your marriage can survive without the, the, the interference of God. <laughs> and, you, and you're actually quite likable. So now you, you know people want to fellowship with you. You can keep on navigating without knowing the ways of God. But it takes the ways of God in your life to be transformed. It takes eating of Christ, of knowing Christ, of of following Him for you to become who you're meant to become. And so Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And as long as I go, I think I... I do sometimes become wise in my own eyes. So what I mean by that is, like I've seen God work in this area of my life before, and I assume I know what it looks like. But actually even what I've learned has to be laid down before the Lord. Because we the Bible says the children of God know the ways of God. And... <laughs> Let him carry on. Um... And so we, we, we actually learn to look to God and follow Him through His Word and by His Spirit. So, so today, like I actually wanted to, um, even though I mentioned your name, like I wanted to encourage, like I felt for your community, is that I could see a lot of splashing in your community. And I think it's going to take a lot of wisdom for you to know to, to not abandon them, but not try and rescue them. Um, and I want to encourage you that there's a, a wisdom in the Lord for you to follow as, as uh, the Lord does His work. So one of the things that I do in the church as a shepherd is what is God doing and how do I work with Him? It it's, can seem, and I, I don't want to justify where I leave someone, but sometimes I'll leave someone until I know the Spirit's doing something inside of them. Just leave them. Not abandon them. But there's a very fine line of recognizing that we cannot change anybody. That's, I'm fully convinced about it. I am fully convinced I can't change anyone. But I can work with a spirit who brings transformation. Could my hand assist the spirit in someone's life being transformed? Yes, but only the spirit. And so we learn the ways of God. Yeah. Yeah,
1: i go for it. I want to jump on, just try and strengthen what he's saying Yes, So I, I'm reminded, I've never spoken to you about this, but probably two weeks after I repented before the church, we we had that, the Saturday evening meetings at, at Sunningdale. And on the way back, uh, my poor wife, tripped one of my landmines and we had like the fight of all fights on the on the way back and uh, and I remember getting home and it was like this the house just felt so small and like it was like I wanted to it was just it was really the fight of all fights and I I remember like I just didn't know what to do and I, I I sent Grant this message like dude you need to help like I don't know what to do and like sending this long thing and he replied with one word he said hold and I was like what does that even mean? Like, it's like, it's like, I was like, initially I was like, okay, that didn't help at all. And, uh, but I don't know if you remember that. But, but I, I was reminded of it now. And I remember in that moment what he did force me. He said, I, I, I realize now, if you, if you did help me in that moment and, and made me come to your house and we chatted out, the next moment there was something. The, the answer I would have known is, call Grant come to the house, let's sort it out, help me. And actually in that moment, there was like, there was like a, I think a maturity, even though I wouldn't say we passed it, 100%, but the, it forced me to cry out to the Lord, help me, how do I get out? How do I help? How do I love my wife? How do I get out of what she just triggered? That thing. And actually, um, and, and there was times thereafter afterward and did message him and he, and he did give me advice and we did chat and we did, he did help, but there was a, there was a real wisdom I think of that moment that actually enabled me to to have to cry out to the Lord and find the ways of God, um, because otherwise I would have been, or He would have been in a sense responsible for to to help me run to the end. Um, he, he would have had to carry me. And so I'm not sure where you're going with this, but are you on the right track because I, I do feel this, and most of us, are, yeah, are actually leaders, like or people walking with one another, and and there's something like there's a, there's a wisdom for us that. Um, I think that God is trying to impart that actually like it's fully not on us that we can like uh, save people but that we need the ways of God to walk with one another and to help them through. I don't know if he's helping but...
0: Um. Do you guys want to share anything? Do you guys want to share anything else? Today? We're, we're having a... This is a sharing time. We're not having a normal... Like this is not a normal meeting or preach or... It's too small for us to do the whole church thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: So just as Hannes was sharing, I also got reminded, when I first got saved, I, I, I used to ask Russell like, a lot of questions. Russell Flazer, I walked quite close with him, and um, like buying my house, I would go to him and he'd say, yes, okay, well, I think it's a good thing, and then we were going to buy a house in Melkweshire, and I was like, okay, I need to find out this is God. And I phoned him, and he didn't, I sent him messages and
0: answer, I was like, what's wrong with this though? Like, and when I eventually got hold of him, he said, I need you to find God on your own for this one. And so there is a time when we actually walk alongside people and help them find, as like we lock wings and we disciple people to a place. But there is a part where if we carry on past that point, we actually disciple people to us and not to Jesus. And we need to let people go past and find God for themselves because we can sometimes draw men to us and our job is to draw men to Christ. And you might go, well, give us more keys in there because we want to do this right. And there are no keys. It's following the Spirit. It's a person. And one person we will lock arms with and just walk it out step by step. And Another person will go hold and go and pray. But honestly, if, the, if we're going to see a church become mature, it's actually for us to all love God and obey Him together and to find His ways together. And it just is what, what it is. It's... it's, it's uh, it's the way of God. So, yeah, no, you can.
2: Yeah, um, yeah it's uh, it, that is exactly that where we we tend to and want to go and help everywhere. Um, as my after my late wife passed away. Um, I got so many calls from families to say, oh, uh, this one's wife's dying, was about to die, or was just died. Just go and encourage, just go and encourage. And obviously my heart is exactly that. I'd get in the car and go if if I was released. And one of the trips I was with the kids at Gaurits, uh, uh, and I get this call that somebody in Cape Town, they're really battling. Um, they haven't given the wife much time, and please go and encourage the guy. So I try and phone, and I try and phone, and I say, listen, um, I'm here, I don't know what to do, just to encourage you. Anyway, we drove down, um, met people in the foyer in the hospital, and he didn't want to see me at all, but I was available. Um, however, the, the Lord showed me so many times thereafter, lots of moms would phone me in fear of them dying because their husbands would never do apparently what I was doing. So their kids are now going to go to ruin because the, the husbands aren't there. And I found many times encouraging people, and the sixth encouragement in one day, I just clearly heard the Lord say to me, you haven't got a blueprint, I'm the blueprint. And I really want to encourage with what you touched on there now, and honest too, um, there isn't a blueprint other than the word, and let the Holy Spirit lead us. Because the moment we think we've got it, we've made it, um, we've gone through this tough thing. Um, we're exalting ourselves, and we're not giving God the, 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 the place, and that's basically where you're going as well. So I think it's, we've never got it, and my move here five years ago, almost now t- five years ago, um, very clearly my business was gone, everything was gone, a lot of um, CVs going out, and it always had the all my. Worldly knowledge, basically, and all my experience in different businesses and all of that, I want to put it together in one project and it will be great because I've got all this knowledge and I've got a very clear word. Everything you've had in the past, you lay down. Even my word, says the Lord. Any word I've had for you, you lay down. Daily, you follow the Holy Spirit. And I think if that can be our guide, otherwise we're going to be spiritually proud of where we're heading,
0: So to land our time, that ambivalence that I was going through escalated. And the heat increased. And I didn't give you the whole story, but I was spending money on going out to Joburg and getting visas and trying to work different things out. And I was running out of money. Uh, My my ambivalence was increasing. I was unsettled. Uh, My heart was beginning to, like this was becoming chaotic. So often before we enter into the Spirit we'll find we're in a trial. And the trial is there to bring you to that place where you do this. God, whatever you want to do. It's, a, it's a, a taking down of the guarded heart. It's, a, it's not trying to work it out of the minds anymore. But it's just saying, yes, Lord, have your way with me. I want to know, so I can't make a call for those who need to forgive their mothers. Isn't it? Maybe one or two people here. Yeah? Uh, But I do feel that there's a wisdom being released uh, this afternoon to discern how to respond to God in your trial and how to enter into the ways of God. And so heat and pressure is to bring things to the surface. So what you'll find is if you read the Old Testament, you know, they, they wanted to make silver pure. They increased the heat. How do you make gold? Heat. James 1 says that we're perfected by our trials. It's interesting. So when God wants something in you, often it will turn the heat up. So I, wa- I want to know how many are y- you're in pressure, but you're not sure what God wants. How many would be able to identify with that? So there's pressure, but you're not really sure what the Lord's after. Okay, we've got one person. Anyone else? Two. Who else can respond to that? Three. Good. Can you put James one up? Four. Put James one up. So let's stand together. Terrible scripture, isn't it? eh? The second part. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Next verse. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Hang on, go back. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Keep on going. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all. It's interesting how. The Lord requests us to ask for wisdom when we're in pressure. Why? To find His way. Okay, so let's, let's, let's just have some time. Uh, and I know this is not a normal meeting, um, but why don't you ask the Lord, what would He want you to see out of this time for yourself? And what does it look like for you to make Him your way and that he would teach you his ways.